want to uh, go right on to the uh, scripture reading this evening. We'll find that in Psalms, the 96th chapter, verses 1 through 6. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Good evening. You've heard about the middle-aged businessman who was suffering, uh, suffering from some severe anxiety. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, well, I'd like to suggest you uh, take up a hobby like maybe golf, and that would help you to relax. The guy said, I've, I've tried golf before, and it doesn't help me to relax. In fact, I just get all tied up in knots. I'm not very good at it, and it stresses me out even more. The doctor said, well, I want you to play a different kind of golf. I want you to go out and play with an imaginary ball. So use your clubs, but just pretend that you're hitting the ball. And it can go wherever you want it to. So he thought he would give it a try. He got up to the first tee, took out his driver. He swung it and uh, just kind of imagined it going just right down the, the fairway. It was a great hit. He thought, you know, this may not be too bad. So he walked up to it. He hit it again, and it went right up on the green. He putted twice because he thought it would be a little presumptuous to just put it once. I thought, I'm really going to like this. And so he continued on. Well, another guy saw him and didn't see the ball and thought, okay, what's going on? So he went up and he asked him about it. And he said, and he explained, so my doctor wanted me to relax a little bit and, and suggested I play golf with an imaginary ball. Well, this friend, this new friend said, that sounds great. You mind if I play with you? So the two of them, they join in and they do 18 rounds of golf and they're having a, a swell time. They're enjoying the, the golf course and the scenery and the conversation and, and, and they're just having a good old time. That was until they got to the last hole and they realized the score was tied. So that first guy, he took out his club, he swung it, it was a good hit. In fact, it was so good, he imagined it went all the way to the green. Yeah, you're ahead of me. And it bounced the perfect bounce, and it went into the cup. He was so excited. And he looked to his friend to rejoice with him. His friend said, hey, 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 wait a minute. You just hit my ball. <laughs> you know, we are living in a pretty competitive age, aren't we? I mean, it's hard to escape it. Anxiety is everywhere. Stress, fear, worry. I think it starts early in life, and we never really get over it. We just kind of learn to, to deal with it. I understand the number one killer in America today is still heart disease. It's been that way for a while, and I checked it again, and, and that's the case. An Associated Press survey revealed that 38% of the 2 million people who die each year die of heart-related diseases. Diseases brought on or exacerbated by hypertension, high blood pressure, and just plain old anxiety. We are attention-filled people, and we're not doing very well with it. Suicide outpaces alcohol as a cause of death among college students. 
One study suggests that 80% of all diseases are created by or related to stress in some way. It's now being learned that stress is kind of a long-term cumulative problem and a phenomenon. It begins with adolescence, but you don't see the effects of it until you're in your 40s or 50s or maybe even 60s. So it keeps building. We can work, we think, pretty well under the stress, and so we keep going and we keep going and we keep going, but we see the results later. You know, the reality is there's no such thing as a sudden heart attack. We've been working on it for years. It's building. We've got all kinds of syndromes that are tension-related. You've got men in their midlife crisis. You've got runaway wives. You've got alcohol and drug abuse, anorexia, depression, insomnia. Dr. Rollo May, noted psychologist, said this, Tension is one of the most urgent problems of our day. Anxiety is now the emotion of our age. But Jesus, our Lord, said, Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We need to find a way to do that. To have that kind of peaceful heart that Jesus was talking about. You know, we, we sometimes kind of wink at worry, don't we? We just kind of look the other way like, like, worry, yeah, that's a problem, but it's okay because everybody does it. And we sort of treat it like it's acceptable because of that. Because it's everywhere. Maybe part of our, temper, our temperament. Although we're learning this constant tension is affecting us negatively, uh, physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. In fact, Jesus takes several paragraphs in the Sermon on the Mount, that's where most of our verses are going to be from tonight, to talk about this peaceful spirit, this calmness, this, this lack of anxiety, because it's important to Him, and it should be important to us. Remember Matthew 13, He talked about the parable of the sower, and He talked about the thorns there that would choke out the Word, and those thorns represent... The world and the thorns of life, the worries that distract us, that keep the Word of God from penetrating our very hearts. See, maybe worry doesn't choke you spiritually completely, but it does affect you. It does make you an unfruitful Christian. It can shorten your life expectancy. It can, can, can harm your own witness and testimony. Other people who look at you, they, you don't reflect the Lord and what He's saying very well. And you can be hard to live with. So here's a question. Why is it that anxiety is a problem? And maybe even today more than ever. But why is anxiety a problem? Well, I think one reason, kind of like what we mentioned this morning, is affluence. I know we mentioned that, but again, I think it plays a part. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5.12. Solomon said, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. It's true, isn't it? And you would think the more you have, the more at peace you would be, the more joy you would have, the more secure you'd feel, the less you would worry. But the fact is, the opposite is true. The more we possess, the more we have to ensure, the more we have to protect, the more we have to clean, the more we have to maintain. And we stress over that. We worry over that. And much of our worry is focused on trying to make sure that we continue to have these things. Some of you are car buffs, and you might relate to a, a man I read about. His name was Ron, and Ron, all of his younger years, dreamed of having a Corvette. So when he finally got a job, he was a teacher, didn't make a lot of money, but he went into debt and he bought him a blue Corvette. For him, it was a dream come true. At first, he thought it was great. Those first weeks, he loved having that Corvette. 
But he began to discover that having the Corvette might be more of a problem than it was worth. He worried about somebody stealing it. And he wasn't satisfied with just a factory-installed theft system, so he put on a more elaborate one. But it would go off in the middle of the night, and everybody in the apartment complex would be awakened by that, and so they all got irritated because of him and his car. He didn't want people to ding the doors or the sides, so he would park sideways and take up two spaces. Of course, nobody in the apartment complex liked that either. So then he would park his car at the very end of the lot, far away from everybody, and, and, and walk. And, of course, people noticed that too, and he was the victim of some catty comments. People would say, I wish I was a school teacher, and I could afford a Corvette. Eventually said, he just gave it up. It wasn't worth it. Another man said when he was in college... His dad splurged and bought him a Porsche, and he loved his car. One day, he and his buddies were playing softball and enjoying the game, but a, a hailstorm just came up out of nowhere. Everybody ran for cover except for him. He ran for his car and tried to protect it. I like the proverb that says, being kidnapped and held for ransom never worried a poor man. Sometimes having a lot of things increases worry. Well, here's another one that increases our worry. The media hype. You ever get weary of the media hype. And we've got so many channels, so you get tired of it, you just turn to the other one, and they'll jump on the same bandwagon. We understand that media is driven not by news, but by money and by ratings. And so even if there's no news, they make it news. Have you noticed that? And it's their job to get you to watch and for you to hang on to their every word. So they'll take the most mundane thing that happened and make it sound the most ominous. Have you ever just finished a newscast and you think, well, nothing happened? Can you imagine if after the 6 o'clock news, really they discovered there's really nothing to report? And so at 9 o'clock, you get that teaser commercial, you know, when you're watching TV and say, you know, be sure to tune in at 10 o'clock. They'll just say, we don't have any more news, so we're just going to show cartoons. Uh, or just turn off the TV, relax, and go to bed early. They're not going to do that. What they know is it sells makes money. News makes money. Whatever the least bit significant, they're going to make it sound like you need to hear. I was looking over the paper, thinking about all the things that have been on the news lately. The economy, it seems to always be there. You know, how to handle our money. It's the new year. Maybe to make sure you're ready for retirement. All the news about France reacting to the terror attack. Do you remember when we had the terror attack and, and how we had the levels of concern for our country? Do you remember that? I didn't even realize there were levels until then. And so they explained, you know, I think we moved from, I think it was yellow to orange. And then the reports that came out after that was like, well, now what are you supposed to do? And they'd say, oh, just go about living your life as usual. So just worry about it. So they bring this to your attention. There's nothing you can do, so you just keep on living. But this is still there. That media hype is everywhere. That instant worldwide attention. We can know about everything that's happened all over the globe. We turn on our TV and it's right there. We've got so much to worry about. Think about it. The people 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, they didn't know about it. They didn't know to be worried. So they didn't have as much to stress over. So we can blame the media to some degree. Well, something else that increases the anxiety of our age is our modern lifestyle. Think about that, our modern lifestyle. Advanced travel, improved technology, all the expectations have changed their lives, supposed to make life easier. But what happens is we're more hurried, more hassled, we're more hectic than ever before. You ever wonder if God designed our bodies with the limit to our nervous system and how much that we are supposed to be able to handle? 
that we do have a cap, but we keep putting all these extra pressures on us. And there's something about us that we wear busyness as a badge. Have you noticed that? We, we brag about how busy we are. As if because we're busy, we have more value. Or because we're busy, we, we are more worth. We have more worth as a person. I think about what we do to our children. We think about that as adults. And we can't help when we live that way. We project that to our own kids. How many sports can they play? How many instruments can they play? How many lessons can they take? Dance and voice and scouts. And, and so we run and run and run. And their formative years is all about running. And it's even rare to sit as a family around a dinner table. I do believe there are some people, though, who are energized by activity, and you may be one of those, that that just gives you even more energy. But others of us put more activity and more pressure on ourselves than is normal. And I think it takes its toll. We see people, I see them, you, you do not just the golf course shopping, they're on the phone. They can't even live in the moment, enjoy what they're doing, or even take care of business because they're so distracted. Got to take that call. Got to check the email. So much pressure. How do we ever have time? How do we ever have time to be still and just know God? See, if I were to ask most of you, what's your number one worry? If you're a parent, number one, it's your kids. For a lot of you who'd say that, your number two is your grandkids. And it's just kind of part of the lifestyle. I love an article by Irma Bombeck. She wrote this a number of years ago. She said, to parent is to worry. Maybe you've heard this before. She said, one of the dumbest pieces of advice that have ever been given to me by my kids is don't worry. Are they crazy? That's my job. I've elevated worry into an art form. This means I can take something as insignificant as mom, I'm staying home on New Year's Eve, so don't worry about me. And I lie awake all night wondering why my son has no social life. If one of them drives a, a, an old car, I worry that some night on a dark road, the car will die, someone will tap them over the head with a tire iron. If he buys new wheels, I worry that he's living on a diet of plastic. If he takes a vacation, I wonder if he can afford it. If he stays at home, I think he's going to kill himself with stress. If he changes jobs, I worry he's unstable. If he stays in one job too long, I, I worry that he's in a rut and he'll never get ahead. If he comes home too often, it's probably because he has no friends. If he never comes home, I know he has plans to put his parents on an ice flow and have, and have the world probated. If he eats too much, I worry about his cholesterol. If he looks too thin, I worry if he has an eating disorder. The other night, my husband said, do you realize all three kids are employed and their cars are running? What do you think the odds are of that happening? You have nothing to worry about. She answered, fool, how long can that last? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said three times, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. The NIV says, don't be anxious. But whatever the translation, we know what he's saying. Do not worry. And I think it's important for us to understand there's a difference between being concerned and being worried. And sometimes we change the words, but we're still worried. And we'll call it being concerned, but we're worried. You've heard the quote, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. But note this, concern. Concern focuses on probable difficulties, and it produces action. 
But worry, in contrast to that, worry focuses on the improbable and produces inaction. See, Jesus taught us to be concerned about the future. Remember? Remember Him talking about no one builds a tower without first sitting down and calculating the cost? You don't get it half done and then not be able to, to finish the job? No king goes to war without surveying and knowing if he's got a chance to pull it off to win? So when Jesus says don't worry, He's not saying don't buy life insurance. He's not saying don't buckle your seatbelt. He's not saying don't have a smoke alarm. Sometimes the best way to overcome worry is to take action. Is to do something about it. If you're worried about your grades, do your homework. Go to class. Study for the test. Do your best. Worried about your marriage? Then read a good book about marriage. Or maybe see a counselor. You're worried about your health? It begins with eating well and exercise. The very thing that your doctor's going to tell you that you need to do. So sometimes we need to be concerned. And that means to take action. Not just think about it. Not worry about it. But do something about it. But anxiety focuses on the improbable and is asking the question, what if? What if the plane crashes? What if I get cancer? What if the check bounces? What if there's another terrorist attack? What if my child and his spouse get a divorce? What if? Jesus is teaching us that's wrong. Don't live that way. If you bear His name, don't live that way. Don't worry. So question number two, why is anxiety like that wrong? Why is that bad? Because everybody seems to be doing it. It seems to be prevalent. Am I right? Do you not see that everywhere? Well, here's a couple of reasons. I think it's wrong because it focuses on this world. You reveal that your focus is on this world and not the next. Jesus said that's what the pagans seek after. And he makes that contrast throughout the sermon there. If you're worried about your finances instead of laying up treasures in heaven... If you're worried about the food you're going to eat, what kind of food it is, how it's going to make you look, so obsessed with that. Worried about your clothing, again, how you're going to look, how people are going to uh, view this. You just obsess over all that. You're worried about the future. Jesus said that's what the pagans seek. It has to do with this world. They seek about this world because they're not concerned about what is eternal, what will last forever. Here's the reality. A hundred years from now, it's probably not going to matter much if you're five, ten pounds overweight, if you're not the most popular person in school, if you've got crabgrass in your front yard, if your gutters are leaky. That's not going to matter. What's going to matter are spiritual things. Do you love God? Daily, are you following His Son? Do you love people? Were you kind? Those are the things that matter. That's why God inspired Paul to write, set your affection on things that are above, not on earthly things. And that should make a difference, a practical difference in our everyday life. But where is also wrong, number two, because it's an exercise in futility. It helps nothing. If you think about all the energy, the, 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 the mental time we spend worrying, it could focus that in a good way. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27, who of you by worrying can add one hour to his life Worrying is futile. I read about a woman who worried for 30 years that she had cancer. Maybe you've known someone like this. Every time there was a pain, every time there was a problem, I've got cancer, I just know it. She died at age 73 of pneumonia. For 30 years, she worried about the wrong disease, the wrong problem. Worry is a waste of time. 
It's a waste of thought, waste of energy. It doubles our trouble. See, if the fears never materialize, you're worried for nothing. And if they do come to pass, well, you've doubled your worry. And you've really helped nothing with that. Somebody said, worry is enjoying a crisis before it arrives. Isn't that true? Well, number three, worry is wrong primarily because it's an evidence, it's a hard word, but faithlessness. It shows how much you don't trust God. That you don't believe what He's told you. Oh, you have little faith, Jesus said. You are no different than the pagans. Oswald Chambers is pretty blunt. He said, worry is infidelity. Worry is infidelity. It means we don't really believe that God looks after the details of our lives. Think about what you know the Bible says. What, what you learn, the promises of God you know in Scripture. God promises all things work together for the good for those who love Him. But worry says, I don't believe that. I don't trust that. I don't think they will. God promises, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. Worry says, I don't think you will supply all my needs. God's Word says, when you're tempted, I will allow you to be tempted. I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But I will, with every temptation, provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear up underneath it. Worry says, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. God's Word says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Worry says, I don't think I'm saved. I'm, I'm not sure if the Lord comes back if I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure about that. Even though Paul wrote, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. See, when you worry, even if you don't use the word worry, but when you worry, what you're doing is confessing your own belief. That you don't trust God. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Here's our third question. What does Jesus say about it? What does Jesus say to do about it? You know, it's easy to say don't worry or to stop worrying. But what do you do from there? And what are you supposed to do? How do you overcome it? I wish there was some magical formula that we could talk about tonight and we walk out of this room that none of us ever deal with worry again. I don't think there is a magical formula. Although I do think there's some teachings of our Lord that start with a change of attitude that can truly change our lives and eliminate worry. Let me name, name a couple of them. Number one, examine the evidence of God's providence in your life. Open your eyes. And just see what God is doing. He said, look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. Now birds are interesting creatures, you know, especially comes, when it comes to food. Sometimes we say, well, I, you know, I just eat like a bird. Or she eats like a bird. Well, how does a bird eat? I read that birds actually eat two or three times their weight in food every day. Kind of changes that phrase, doesn't it? That means some of you would eat 200, 300 pounds of food, 400, I'm going to stop. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of every day. But you never see a bird out on a limb pacing, I just don't know if there's going to be anything out there tomorrow. And when I finished yesterday, I didn't see any more worms left. 
They're not stressing over it. In fact, you never see an anorexic sparrow either. They seem proud to be big. And they'll puff their feathers out. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Look at verse 28. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I will tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Well, how do they grow? Nobody's out cultivating these lilies he's talking about. Nobody's out fertilizing them. Nobody's out with the insecticide. But the lilies grow. In fact, he says, even Solomon was not dressed as great as these. If God feeds the birds of the air and and clothes these lilies and takes care of them, what about you and me? Our value is much more than theirs. Will He not care for us? He knows the hairs on our head. So examine God's providence. How many of you, think about your life, how many of you can say, I've lived my entire life and I've never truly experienced hunger? Now, I don't mean that little reminder you get just before mealtime, but I mean when you had nothing to eat, cupboards were bare, you went to bed hungry, You were that destitute. All of us, most of us, we've not experienced that kind of destitution. How many of you could say, in all of your life, I know we go to our closet and say, I've got nothing to wear. Now, it may not fit, but we've got a whole closet full of clothes. It's not like the clothes you wore today it's so dirty because of whatever was going on that you can't put it, that's all you've got. That's none of us. None of us. If we lived all these years, all your life, you've had something to eat. You've had clothes to wear. When you put your head on your pillow at night, when you looked up, it wasn't the stars. You had shelter. You are blessed. When, when will we come to the place where we can look to God and say, you know, God has provided for me all these years. I think He's going to continue to do it. I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to believe every promise is true. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging bread. How much is God going to have to continue to do for you and me before we believe Him? That He's going to continue to keep His Word. I'll care for you. If I have food and clothing, I'll be content with that. I love the plaque that reads, it's an old one, but a good one. Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I can't handle together. So examine God's providence in your life. Here's the second thing. Place your emphasis on the spiritual. Emphasize the spiritual. If you want to overcome worry, he says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. But don't just say it. Don't just quote the verse. Do it. You really seek His kingdom and His righteousness. You put that first. Number one, you are a soul with a relationship with your Creator. 
your father. And then if you're married, you're a spouse with a relationship with your mate. If you're a parent, then you are a father or a mother with a relationship with your children. If you've got a job, then you're a professional, you're an employee with a relationship with your boss. We know what the priorities are supposed to be, but where we get into trouble is when we take that, that list and we flip it around. What's number four becomes number one. What's number three becomes number two. And we just get them all confused. And it causes problems. And we get exhausted. And we run out of spiritual energy. And we're just going through the motions. So don't just talk about seeking God's kingdom first. You really do it. Even though there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress on you, even about going to worship, you go to worship. Even when you don't feel like it. We're never commanded to feel like it. But we go worship Him because that's what's best. Even though there's a lot of stress, maybe tempting to, to compromise, you stand up what's right. You don't give up your integrity. You don't turn when the stress is on to substances or other things to fill you, to get you through. You let God's Spirit fill you. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God said, I'll supply your needs. You seek me first. You trust me. And then third, if you want to overcome worry, he says, live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. So therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will not have any problems. Isn't that what he said? It's not what he said, is it? Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. I love the Bible. I love the way God inspired the writers because it's, it's, it's real. It, it's every day. God tells it like it is. He doesn't say you're not going to have any troubles or they're not going to be too bad. He doesn't ever say that. He said, consider the birds. Well, consider the birds. What happens to the birds? Snakes come and eat their eggs. Birds have to fly south for the winter. That's a long trip. Birds die. They get hit by a car. I've seen it. You've seen it. Consider the birds. Consider the lilies of the field. What happens to them? They put on a show even greater than Solomon. Then what? They shrivel up and die. They're chopped and burned. For every person sitting here tonight, if not right now, around the corner or somewhere down the road, there's a problem. It's going to hit you in the face. And you're going to have to deal with it. And you're going to be so tempted to think that God has left you, that God has forsaken you, that this wasn't in, in the plan, and to turn your eyes away from Him. The Lord is saying, don't worry. Because when you get there, I'm already there. And I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to supply your every need. God has all the resources in the world. And when we get into trouble, His Spirit will give us everything we need to cope. See, being a Christian is not just Pollyanna and putting on blinders and saying, I'm not going to have any problems. Everything's fine. Nothing bad is going to happen. Following our Lord... He said, I know there's going to be some bad things, some struggles. That's life. But my God is sufficient. And He's going to give me everything I need. In the meantime, 
You live one day at a time. If you're worried about what's going to happen a week from now or a month from now or a year from now, you're not going to do very well today. You may not even have the resources to do well today. So one of the keys to overcoming worry is to learn to appreciate today. To live today in this moment. To say, God has allowed me to live today. I'm going to live it to the fullest. And you go about your day in that way. Remember the line from Kipling? If you can dream and not let your dreams become your master, then you'll be a man, my son. But some let their dreams master them. That's why Jesus, in teaching His disciples to pray, remember, give us today our daily bread. Today. Even when God was feeding the children of Israel, manna just enough for the day. Why? Enough. One day at a time. That's not a new teaching of Jesus. That's the way God has always been. It's not a new desire for, for man to, to want to store it up and, and to look ahead and to stress over, or over the future. People have a tendency to do that. You ask a little boy how old he is, he gives you the number with fractions. You ever notice that? I'm eight and a half. I'm nine and three quarters. I don't know, we get to 18, 19, 20, we give up on that one, don't we? We say, oh, I'm still in my 40s, or I'm still in my 50s. We don't do it that way. Somebody said, if you were to eliminate all of the life that we wish away, you know what that means, don't you? You wait for the weekend, waiting for, the, uh, waiting for the, the next thing coming. If we were to eliminate all of life that we wish away, most of us would probably live about a month. Some of you are looking at your watch right now going, okay, about five more minutes and we're out of here. We waste our lives away. Gary Freeman wrote about a young girl. She was unhappy. All she really wanted to do is get married and, and, and be a mom and, and have children. But she did finish high school. She didn't enjoy it, but she finished high school and she did get married and she did have three children. But she was surprised at how demanding those children would be. The diapers that were nonstop, the fixing bottles, the living on a budget. And she found herself thinking, boy, I just can't wait until they, until they start school. So they're all in school, and then I'll have a little bit of a break, a little bit of a reprieve, some time to myself. Finally went to school. That last one started. And she thought, now I'm going to get to have some time to myself. She and her husband sat down. They were looking at the money, and they were realizing the future. And he said, you know, honey, college is going to be expensive. If you'd go to work, we could put that money away. Maybe we could put a huge dent in that. Well, she didn't want to go to work. She wanted just some time for herself, but... She put her own desires to the side and she went to work. But she found herself thinking, I can't wait till they get out of school. I can't wait till they get to college. I can't wait till they get out of college and I don't have to do this job anymore. I can relax and enjoy myself. And that day finally came. The last bill was paid. The last child was gone. She walked into her, uh, the office of her uh, uh, boss and said, I need to talk to you about quitting my job. He said, oh, you don't want to quit right now? If you'll just work 10 more years, you can retire and get a pension and get benefits. You're so close. But she didn't want to work. But she kept working for 10 more years, crossing every day on the calendar, looking forward to the day she could finally retire. And she did. 
She and her husband retired together. They spent the rest of the year sitting on the front porch looking at the photo album, remembering the good old days. Why is it that life always looks good in prospect or in retrospect, but not nearly so good in the present? Is that a heart problem? This is the day. Jesus said, you want to overcome worry? You live one day at a time. You say, this is a great day. God has allowed me to live today. And I'm going to make the most of it. He's going to take care of tomorrow. I don't know what's coming. But He's already there. And He's going to meet me there. And He's going to supply my every need. And one day, I don't know when, it'll be my last. Or He's coming back. And he's going to take me to heaven. He's going to supply my every need. I'll leave you with one last verse. Psalm 118.24 This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I challenge you. You can't do that and worry. If you're worrying, you're not doing that. If you're doing that, you're not worrying. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Time of prayer. Time of encouragement. Whatever we can do as a church family, one of our shepherds will be down front. Or if you'd like to name the name of Jesus, we always have the water ready for you to be baptized. Once you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.